Elena. And I'm Megan. Welcome to the Shh Don't Talk About It podcast, where we talk about all the things we need to say out loud, but think that we can't. We're going to talk about all the things. We're going to shed light on them. We're going to embrace them and we're going to fucking love them. So join us on this journey as we get rid of shame and start talking about it. Episode one. Addicted to love. But what do we do first? Well, before we get into anything, we are cracking crack our claws, baby. Oh, cheers. Cheers, cheers, cheers. It's good to be back. Yes, yeah, so good to be back. We missed y'all. Um, so Maggie, you want to share what our season two is going to be about? Yeah, so season two is all about other people's stories. Season one was a lot about the two of us. Y'all have learned a lot of things about us. Um, but there's a lot of subjects that need to be talked about that are not things Raina and I have direct experience with. Mm-hmm. So season two is all about uh, their, other people's stories. In season one, Raina and I shared a lot of the things in our lives that we haven't had space to talk about. Yes. And in season two, we wanted to make space for guests to come and talk about their thing that for a lot of their life, they they felt like they haven't been able to talk about. So it's your stories this time around. Yes, absolutely. And we are so excited for this first episode um, where we bring in a wonderful human being. Oh my God, she was so It was so to. good. Yeah. Yes. Do you want to share who our first guest is on the show? Yeah. So today's episode is about sex and love addiction. And we were really lucky to have our guest, Brianne Davis, who's an actress. She's a writer. Um, she's a podcaster. She's so many things. And she's also a sex and love addict. So she joined us. We had an amazing conversation about what that's been like for her. And and I personally learned so much. What about you? Oh, my gosh. Yes. First of all, I didn't even I had an idea what sex and love addiction was um, and what that might have looked like. But I've learned that um, it's so much more than that, you know, goes way deeper than that. And it stems from a lot of um, trauma, you know, and I really appreciate Brianne coming on and sharing her story with us and her, um, her guidance and how she navigated her way through recovery. How about you, Megan? Yeah, I was just blown away with how open and candid she was yes. with talking about her experience. And the other thing I really learned is how much more common sex and love addiction is Mm -hmm. than we think. And so I learned a ton. It was a beautiful interview and we can't wait for y'all to hear it. So we're going to get to it. Um, Thanks for being back with us and let us know what you think about this next season. Thank you. Bye y'all. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine. Erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God. And we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine. Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Today, we are joined by Brianne Davis to talk about a topic that we think impacts a lot more people than ever gets talked about. It's sex and love addiction. So Brianne, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, well, um, thank you for having me. Yeah. And just to let folks know a little bit about you, um, Brianne is an actress who has appeared on actually so many of my favorite shows. Um, Veronica Mars, which I wanted to be Veronica Mars when that show was on. Um, I think everybody wanted to be Veronica Mars. <laughs> Nip Tuck, Desperate oh, Housewives, I love True Blood, such an awesome resume. Um, and she also hosts a podcast that we strongly recommend folks check out called Secret Life. And if all of that isn't enough, she just published her first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. So Thank you for being here with us. You must be really busy. (laughs) I am, but I'm so excited to talk to you guys. I was looking forward to this. So I'm like thrilled and I can't wait to just delve into this taboo, like shameful, dirty disease that no one wants to discuss ever. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's what we're here for. (laughs) So um, just to 
share a little bit. Um, so we started this podcast to talk about those things, things that people are ashamed about or, you know, um, people shame for, um, just to kind of shine light on those taboo topics, those subjects, um, because there's absolutely nothing wrong um, with any of them. You know, it's just what we put on to them, what people put on to us, and then which leaves us alone and isolated and feeling confused and so lost. Um, and we just feel it, it's important to just start talking about those things to educate people on what these things are. Um, so they don't feel alone and lost and confused that there are other people that are experiencing this same thing um, and how to navigate through all of that. So this is what this podcast is. And so thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Yeah. I mean, like I said before, I just really want to educate in a way where people understand when I first got sober 11 years ago in sex and love addiction, walking into the rooms that I didn't even know about and my therapist saying, you have this problem, you're going to have it the rest of your life and you're an actress and you pick the worst career for your mm -hmm. addiction, your obsession with people, you know, what we get from people. It's like an alcoholic uses alcohol, a drug addict uses drugs, a sex and love addict uses people to fill us and give us our self-worth and our high. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, walking into that room 11 and a half years ago and just seeing all walks of life from all over the, you know, from an A-list celebrity to a janitor to a social worker to a school teacher that you can have this disease and it can kill you and take you down if you don't do the things you need to do to heal from them because it is a gnarly, gnarly addiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's also something that's not very well understood or taken very seriously. And oh, yeah. So I was wondering if you could start with just the basics, like what is actually sex and love addiction? Because I think a lot of people maybe saw Californication with David Duchovny, so they think they know, but I, I think it's something that we really don't know very much about what it is. Yeah. I mean, they say 6% of the United States has it. So mm -hmm. that out of that 50 are 5.5 million of them are women, 37% are women. So I just have to say from my point of view, 11 years ago, I would say it was more men, but now it is 50-50 and younger and younger generations. So more and more people are coming in. I think the best way to describe it and how I describe it is we look at the sex addiction side. So you're addicted to the sexual act with a person. So it's like, even masturbation, porn, um, having multiple partners, being obsessed with one particular person acting out, going to massage parlors, one night stands, swiping left and right, like, and then going and doing those sexual acts. So there's one side of it. The other side is the love addiction. That's the more confusing part that people mm -hmm. don't get. You know, that is your, you're addicted to unavailable people. It's about the person. Mm -hmm. So you have multiple partners also. Like for me, my love addiction is I would have a relationship and then I would kind of layer the next relationship. Like I always had to have somebody that mm -hmm. was like giving me love and attention. Um, it's flirting. It's intrigue. It's swiping left and swiping right. Like looking for that perfect soulmate, that white knight, that person to come and fix you, which, you know, is, doesn't exist. Going back to that unavailable person that like torment you over and over again. They say they're available and then they're not going back to unhealthy relationships. So it's those two. And usually everybody has a combination of them. So, cause when I first heard sex and love addict, I was like, I do, I have never had a one night stand and I don't haven't had many multiple like sex partners. So when my therapist told me, I was like, that's like a guy thing. That's like, I, I don't have that. And she was like, yes, you do. And there's these 40 questions. If you're listening and you think you might have this problem, there's 40 questions self-diagnose on sex and love addicts anonymous. And they take you through, like, have you looked for someone to fix you? Are you always looking for a relationship? Do you go back to harmful relationships? Do you have sex when you don't want to have sex? All those, there's 40 of them. And when I filled it out and it's in the book, it's, I got a 38 out of 40. And I was like, oh, wow. okay. <laughs> okay, all right, obviously. I think but we have a problem. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> yeah. But you know, they say if you get five yeses or more, you should look, look into this. Even you oh, can sure. just be in a relationship that's unhealthy. So mm -hmm. I always say, 
if you're in a relationship that brings out the worst in you, that's unstable, that there's a push-pull, there's a game being played, there's usually some sex and love addiction attached. And here's the horrible thing. Society glamorizes it. Yeah, The music, the movies, like falling in love. I was in love with falling in love. Like that Uh is the best high, right? Like the butterflies, the first touch, the tingles, the everything. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that wore off, I believed that the relationship was doomed. Like I felt some warped butterflies lasted forever. Mm -hmm. The passionate first kisses that last forever. And no one ever taught me that's not what a healthy, real relationship is. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. That's <laughs> a lot. I'm just sitting I love here that thinking. You're like, hmm. Oh, I'm just sitting here I'm thinking. I'm like, is that me too? <laughs> <laughs> I think I Oh my God, to... I love it. But here's the thing. A lot of my friends have this problem. You know, they're mm-hmm. Searching for this person on just uh, the other day, my friend on Instagram, like obsessively DMs people and intrigues. And I'm like, that part, you do not know that person. She's like, I'm in a real relationship. I'm like, what's his middle name? Like, <laughs> what, what does, you know, like, you don't know anything about him. All you're living is in fantasy. And what we do in this society is have this fantasy that someone is going to come and rescue us. Someone is going to come and fix us. And I'm telling you bullshit because we're all human and we're all flawed and no one can fix you. No one's going to come rescue you. There is nothing. There's no soulmate out there. You're not cut in half searching for your other half through this world. Like your soulmate is in the mirror. And that's my whole point. Yes. Yes. I love it. Did you hear me? I just like when I'm like, preach. look in the fucking mirror. You're looking for somebody to change your life. Look in the mirror, looking for somebody to love you. Look in the mirror. Like that's just where it's at because yeah, you can constantly be seeking all of this love and attention because you have this void in your heart. Um, this, you know, and you, once you realize that you are the only one that can fill that void, like there's nobody else that will measure up to that task. There's nobody else that will help you feel that. And so perhaps, you know, what we do is distract ourselves with all this other stuff, you know, alcohol, drugs, sex, love, you know, shopping, eating, Instagram, social media is a huge high right now. People cannot put down their phones and Mm -hmm. stop scrolling and just be present with themselves and feel their feelings and feel their feelings of I'm bored, be bored. Like Mm -hmm. we are a society that can't be bored. And I think the instant gratification and this younger generation, you guys, I have people coming to me that are 19 that are suicidal over a guy not liking them. It's like, it's, it's, that's why I came out because so many people are suffering. And I was like, okay, whoa, whoa, something's going on with our society right now. And people do not understand that what, the message that's being put out there is damaging to the younger generation. Yeah. So, so true. I was just, I was just looking at Raina because that advice about like, if you want someone to love, look in the mirror. Like a few years ago, I got out of a very codependent relationship, realized I had no sense of self and needed to Mm -hmm. find her and create one. And that is the advice you just always gave me. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. Like we live in a society where we just don't want to face the void or whatever that, whatever is empty inside you, you're trying to fill up. It's very painful to fill it yourself, but so much more healthy and rewarding long-term. Sure. Well, that's what sex and love addiction is about. I mean, the program, I I'm a 12 step. That's the only 12 step I'm in. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not into drugs. I, I don't do the shopping thing. Sometimes I do the eating thing when I'm having a bad day. I'm like, Oh, a cupcake. But like, (laughs) but this, what the program teaches you, it's not about finding a perfect partner. It's about finding yourself. And I think that's the beautiful thing. And, but nobody wants to go to this program. Nobody wants to admit they're a sex and love addict. And because it's like the worst of the worst, they say a is like the last house on the block. Anybody wants to go to and slaw is like, they call it slaw for short slaw. (laughs) like the shack in the back that no one wants to go to. It's like the bottom. You're at the bottom. I mean, when I got with six months in the program, this guy came in and he said, I can quit heroin and I can't quit her. The pain of quitting her is so much worse than quitting heroin. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. to me was such like a, it just was like, whoa, 
This yeah. is no joke. People kill each other over this addiction. More people are in jail over sex and love addiction. More people do drugs because of bad relationships. I had right. a friend that had eight years in AA. She lost her sobriety over a rando dude on Instagram. She went out mm-hmm. drinking and drunk driving and almost killed somebody. Like this is more people kill over love than any other thing. Watch a dateline. Watch a dateline. I know. Like they're yes. all like love triangles and cheating and you know so (laughs) yeah it just elicits this like emotion inside of you you know rage and anger and hurt and jealousy and jealousy you can get lost in it you know if you're not fully grounded within yourself and who you are and your power you can totally get lost in all of that um and I can totally see it taking over somebody's whole being you know um and doing things that you would never, ever do, you know? Um, I mean, yeah, with sex addiction, I mean, now the things just with the porn industry, what the porn industry has done to young boys being like, it's all fantasy and this like over the top porn free constantly. They're saying young boys are watching at six and eight years old and that they're desensitizing their brains at so young that when they get older, they can't have intimacy. They don't, they envision of like what sex looks like, what fantasy looks like is the same thing. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's, they say it's actually an epidemic. There was a huge thing saying, we're going to see with this next generation, how horrible the epidemic is. And tons of people are addicted to masturbation and porn, especially Mm -hmm. women too. It's, Mm -hmm. it's just mind boggling. Yeah. It's like anything to escape. Yeah. It's actually really interesting to hear you describe, um, you know, your fellowship as like the shack past the last house on the block that like nobody, (laughs) nobody wants to to go to. (laughs) Um, why do you think that is like, what is it about saying I am a sex and love addict that is so shameful that people choose not to even take a step toward recovery? Well, I think, like you said, it is shameful. You have a lot of shame. Using people is not like picking up a drink. Being Saying you're an alcoholic, there's no stigma in it. Nobody cares anymore. They're like, you know, like my husband has been sober for 32 years in AA, and he has no shame admitting to anyone. But when you're a sex and love addict and you're addicted to a person or you can't stop masturbating or all that stuff, people don't want to talk about it. Sex Mm -hmm. is such a hush-hush in general in our society. So it just amplifies. And then people are like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just leave him? Why can't you just get out of that relationship? Why do you keep cheating? And it's like, I have this compulsion I don't want to be in my skin. It's the way I act out. I use other people. I get high off other people. That's embarrassing to admit. Like, it's so embarrassing to be like, I don't know why I can't get out of this bad relationship. I'm sure you've had friends where you're like, why does they keep going back to them? What is going on? Stop. Because it's so hard for outsiders to understand the addict brain of being obsessed with somebody and society, you know, saying it's okay to like fall in love 800 times and <laughs> and put yeah. on a filter and put, you know, be the perfect person and looking for the perfect person. So I just think, especially as a woman, it's embarrassing. And plus, if when I say I was a sex and love addict, people think it's sexy. They're like, <laughs> ooh, I wish I would have yeah. met you before you got sober. Like I've literally had people say that oh to gosh. me and I've looked at them and I've literally stared at them and been like, it's not sexy to use people and hurt people and yeah. put people in danger. Like that's not sexy. Um, so it's just this misconstrued, shameful, like let's keep it in the closet. It's not really happening kind of situation. I mean, just on my podcast to get men to talk about their sex addiction or sex and love addiction, it is impossible. Hmm. And I have tons of male fellows and I have been in the program a really long time and I cannot get a man. I've like, I thought it was going to be the easiest interview and it is just so difficult to get them to talk about it. That's fascinating. Well, we want to get into more of your story, but we also wanted to ask first, and I think this kind of connects to like why there's shame around this addiction or shame around this label. We're, we're curious your perspective on what the media gets wrong. Um, especially, you know, we're recording this just a few days after the um, hate crime shootings in Atlanta, where the perpetrator is blaming his sex addiction for what he 
which seems mm-hmm. really backwards. Um, yes. <laughs> and, you know, on top of that, I think there's probably just a lot of misportrayal of what this actually is in the media. And I was we were wondering if you could just like speak on that a little bit to help people understand like where our culture is getting this wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I, like I said, I know a lot of sex addicts. I know a lot of sex and love addicts that are in jail. I've known a lot that committed suicide. I know ones that, you know, are living on the streets because normally with addiction, there's tied mental illness is tied in. So it's looking at the mental illness and, you know, gun control and proper education, uh, they look at it. Oh, it's a sex addiction. Like he did, he, he wants to get rid of the places he acted out. It's like, that's insane. You can't get rid of all the liquor stores because you, you have a problem with drinking. You can't blame, you can't go and kill a bunch of people when you're drunk on alcohol and then blame the alcohol. It's your action. I think they need to focus on his action. And yes, he went and killed a bunch of people and it was race related. He went to specific places. He didn't go to like a strip club here or, you know, so he could have gone to the red light district in Atlanta. I'm from Atlanta. There are prostitutes everywhere. So it was race related. I think it's a cop out what they're doing. I think it's, it, it was so painful to me when he came out as a sex addict, because it's hard enough being an addict in this world, right? It's hard enough. There's so much stigma and hate and just not understanding Mm -hmm. to then attach it to mass murder, yeah. He just murdered people. I don't know any sex addict that just goes out and shoots a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Do I know crimes of passion, crimes of love? Yes, I have seen that. But I don't know any sex addict that has gone out and just killed a bunch of people. Yeah, definitely different. <laughs> yes. And, and you can't, it's the, fuck, it's the fucking media, you know. They just are giving him a pass and just as they always do, you know, with like- and they don't call it what it is. He's a terrorist. He went yeah. and did a racial. If all the people dead were in one race, that is a racial attack. I don't care where he lives. Like, uh, yeah, it's beyond frustrating for me, you know, and yeah. then to group in my group of people that we work so hard to put a positive message out there. And then for this mass murderer to slander sex addiction through the mud and blame him killing all these people on it just disgusts me. Yeah, it's disgusting. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, um, your input on it, because it is. Because, you know, I was thinking last night, because knowing we're having this um, podcast today is, you know, can we talk about this? Because it kind of goes, you know, like, luckily we have somebody who is a sex addict that will share their experience. And, like, it does, it's not okay, regardless of, if there's an addiction or not, like it's not okay to do what he did and they like, or to even use an addiction for that reasoning, you know, it's not, let's just call it what it is, you know, like you're a racist piece of shit, you know? Yeah. And you just <laughs> and, murdered a bunch of people. Yeah. Asian people, uh, Asian women. And it's just, yeah. So are you able to kind of share your story on, um, you know, you started with 11 years ago, walking into the room and then ding, 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 I have, you know, um, an addiction. What are you able to share kind of the events that led up to you walking into that room in the first place? Yeah, I like to go back, you know, at a very young age, my parents weren't didn't there wasn't a happy marriage, let's just say, you know, Mm -hmm. I never saw my parents say loving words to each other. I never saw them hold hands, even sleep in the same bed. So I was never I grew up in the South in Atlanta. I was never a girl that like dreamed of her wedding or having kids. And so carrying that on, I realized when I hit puberty, like there was this moment where we change as women and we feel power our sexual at a very young age, too young, probably. But yeah, I realized I had this power over, I had something in me that had this power over guys and I mm-hmm. could, you know, what I started to do was lie. I just became a liar. It was easier than telling the truth. It was easier to, than being authentic, you know, growing up in a broken household, growing up with learning disability, ADHD, my 
you know, high was, you know, I would cheat on a boyfriend. So I kept that going. I had boyfriends all the time and they overlapped and I was never truthful. I had one foot in the door, one foot out because I never wanted to be in a marriage or a relationship where someone had the power over me and could hurt me Mm -hmm. or abandon me. Mm -hmm. I was afraid of intimacy because people scared me. Um, So all that stuff was a combination and addiction runs in my family, you know, when I did, went down my lineage after being in the program, I found out, you know, my great grandfather died of alcoholism and each generation adapted it differently. You know, some became overeaters, some, you know, were workaholics that really runs in my family. So when I, you know, been cheating and cheating and just thinking I couldn't find the perfect guy, the perfect person to complete me, to give me that unconditional love. Like I was always one of those people. I don't know if you guys know, like when you kind of push the boundary, you're like, see how Mm -hmm. far I can push somebody, see how much they love me. So I I always (laughs) feel like I did that with people, even friendships, even girl friendships. Like Mm -hmm. I keep saying, (laughs) okay, right. Like how much can I push you away before you stop? Yeah. 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 And how much can I like codependent with you and enmeshed with you. And like, we become like each other's, you know, like be on the phone for hours and help me fix my problems. And then when you can't fix them, I'm going to call another friend and do the same thing. Like it was always someone trying to fix me. Mm -hmm. So I met this gentleman that I actually really liked as much as I could love somebody. I loved him and we lived together. And I thought that part of my life was over. Like I found my person, my mentor died. And I found myself two days later on location shooting a movie out of town about to blow up my relationship all over again, like Mm -hmm. blow it up. And I was sitting in a hotel room and I was like, oh my God, am I going to be doing this the rest of my life? Am I always going to be searching for somebody to be the perfect person, to fix me, to give Mm -hmm. me everything I need? And here was this person I cared about and I was about to do it again. It can't it can't be all these people. What's the common denominator of all these relationships? Me. (laughs) So I called my friend. She gave me her therapist. I went and saw the therapist and the two things she told me, and I love to say this because they are very taboo. She said, you wear the face of a high-class prostitute. You wear a mask. Yeah, that's what she said. My therapist. I was like, and I was like, mean? fuck you. Like, yeah. I was so, oh my God, I would have left the room. I know. I was like, I'm paying you $250 an hour to tell me I'm like a high class prostitute. Like, oh, oh, I never slept for money. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I've never had a one night stand. And she just <laughs> said, you have a deadness to you. Like you were mm. disconnected. And I was like, Well, fuck you is what I was thinking. And I wasn't coming back. And she said, the second thing is you're a sex and love addict. And I think you really, you know, you're going to have this problem if you don't deal with it and you have to go to a 12 step program. I can't fix it for you. And I kept going to her for, uh, I went eight years, two days a week. And I went to 12 step that, that day I drove on, you know, the Highway in LA, if you've ever been there, there's traffic 24-7. And I was hysterically mm-hmm. crying in my car. I called my boyfriend who I live with and I said, <laughs> she says I'm a sex and love addict. Like hysterically, like ugly mm-hmm. cry, you know? And I get home and he prints up all the meetings in Los Angeles and he highlights all the meetings I can go to. And I went that night, walked into that room I told you about, and yeah. I cried the entire meeting. Because for the first time in my life, I didn't feel broken. I didn't feel alone. I just didn't get the tools how to have a healthy relationship. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. was the journey. That was my bottom. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And amazing that you sought help because yeah. you become a, became aware of your own behavior. And some people don't ever do that, get there, you know? Um, and then you went and you were like, I can be better than like, this is not me. I can be better than this. I want better than this for myself. And you went to seek help and go to therapy and go to the meeting, like all of that. And is so difficult to do, to admit to yourself that there's something wrong here, you know, and I, it's me, it's me. I'm the one that's wrong, you know, doing wrong. And I'm the only one that can fix that. Yeah. And so for you to, to do that, it takes a lot of strength, you know, and bravery. Um, otherwise you could have, yeah, continue to do this the rest of your life. And 
Yeah. I just had this visual. I was like, am Mm -hmm. I going to be on my deathbed? Like I visualized being on my deathbed and I talk about it in my book, like this moment where I was like, no one's going to be there. Like no one's actually going to know the whole you. Cause I was so used to compartmentalizing my life, like giving this to this person or being this for this person or turning into a different person for a relationship. And I just was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was so sick of looking outside of myself to feel better, like to like Mm -hmm. have self-worth. And what happened was I was all ego. It was all narcissistic tendencies. And truly inside, I was a broken little girl that just, you know, had trauma in her background, didn't get, you know, healthy love, didn't get great role models. And it wasn't my fault. Like I was doing the Mm -hmm. best I could, but I was just sick and tired. I was just like, I can't do this again. I can't hurt another person. And the ripple effects of hurting other people is just, I mean, it it just ripples. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to, um, first off, thank you for sharing because that's going back in early childhood and bringing up that could be a lot, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But I just want a lot of what you're saying is something I can completely relate to because I didn't have two parents, you know, what? that my parents got divorced at a very young age, the love that I was shown or the love um, that I was taught was not love, you know, and I, um, there was a lot growing up, a lot of trauma in my childhood as well. But that's why it took me a long time to, and I'm still working through it, not be scared of love, not be scared of feeling safe or security or stability, like all those things I don't trust, like whatsoever, even though I've been in a relationship for 17 years now, um, we're not married. But I, I still, I have the behavior, like luckily he is who he is because I push and push and push for him to prove love to me or, or I could never feel his love. And it wasn't until like four years ago where I was like, I know he loves me, but I just don't feel anything, you know? I got if I could have like a quarter for every time somebody said that. I love that you said that because I've heard so many people. They're like, I know he loves me, but I just don't feel like you just like need this. They say you need like um um in the book, it's amazing. They say you need like a cattle prod. Like uh, we need a cattle prod to jolt (laughs) us to feel something because we as addicts can take like the littlest thing and it feels like nothing. Because we're not Mm -hmm. used to it. We don't know how to take kindness. We don't know how to take that stuff unless it's like a jolt jolt of energy to get us. Yeah. I'm just like, there's nothing there. Just total numbness. Mm -hmm. Like here, there's nothing there. And then I'm like, fuck, maybe it's not him. I think it's me, you know? (laughs) So that's when I started going to therapy and started like unpacking a lot of shit and excavating all these layers that I use as protection my whole life. And I did the same thing as a youth and like use sex as my um, source of empowerment. Yeah, power and control. That's the best power and control. (laughs) That's what I did for, you know, most of my youth. And I didn't see anything wrong with it. I I was the player and I was, you know, and I knew what I, what I could do with people and, you know, the attention that I could get and, I know that was just seeking love, you know, in all the wrong places. Everything was always about seeking love yeah. and attention, yeah. the, the love and attention that we didn't get from our parents, you know, and, and even still to this day, it's not their job to give it. Like we can't get that from them. Mm-hmm. They would never, nobody can give that to you. You have to like, it's here. It's all, it's always been there. It's always been there since the moment that you were born, you know, that love for yourself, that light your being. And then we get just conditioned over time by everything, culture, society, parents, over time, like trying to tell us who we are. And we are not any of those things. Those are what people put on us and we believe them and we're conditioned um, by all of them. And it's our job to like, you know, um, unlearn those things and realize that we are here. We are just here. So, you know, I heard a guy just say something similar to what you just said. And he you know, you watch TV, you watch, we watch TV at such a young age and it's, it's literally buy this, whatever to make mm-hmm. your life complete Buy this shirt. It will make you better Buy this new car Buy this. It's like, we're inundated with all these things of like, what will make you happy? And, you know, social media and all that, that goes with it. Um, but mm-hmm. he said, you know, it's an inside job and majority of society is like, no, it's not an inside job. If I just get that job, if I just get that house, if I just get that girl, if I just get that car, if I just get that outfit, if that gets 
Mm-hmm. If I just get, if I, it's like the disease of never more, ending. like we are always yeah. looking for more, more to fill, more to fill. Like I need more. And I was the same way. Mm-hmm. I was like a total user and abuser searching for more just to make me feel that empty hole that is just insatiable. There is not mm-hmm. enough in the world that can make me feel what I want to feel. Mm-hmm. That's so right. I, I was finding myself like tearing up a little bit, listening to you talk about your story. Like I still feel the tears kind of inside in the part of my chest where my empty place lives. Just thinking about past relationships and all of the work I did to like paint red flags green, Mm -hmm. all the work I did to like make a bad thing work because there, there was just this like need to have another person to almost like feel like I existed. Yeah. Um, finally like broke those site, those cycles of codependency a couple of years ago, but it still comes, it still likes to creep itself back in like now and have a partner where like my light can shine and his light can shine and we can like make each other, make the world brighter. No one has to shrink to fit the relationship. Yeah. Um, but there are times when I don't trust it. Just like Raina was saying, like, this feels really good. So what fight could I start today to get a little bit of excitement going? I love drama. (laughs) When it's just plain and boring, you're like, wait, this doesn't feel right. Especially when you something's wrong. Yeah. And especially when you grow up, you know, with drama in your household, we crave it and we'll create it. But it's but there was something interesting you said because I've had so many sponsees say that where, you know, they, you know, paint those uh, red flags green. And it's like, we try to take those unavailable people because I'm unavailable. If I'm picking an unavailable person, something in me is unavailable and not actually for a fully committed, intimate relationship. So you're picking this person Mm -hmm. that's unavailable and trying to get them to love you and trying to change for them or change them. And it's like, that's insanity. Like to try to get somebody to love you is insane, but we keep trying to do that. Like, love me, love me, love me. And usually when they do, then most people are like, oh wait, no, no, I don't want that. Like, you're like, yeah. never mind. Or that's you doubt it. it. You know what I mean? Cause you got it. And you're like, yeah. okay, that's no, I don't actually want you. So it's, yeah. it's just, it's a roller well, coaster. That's true. <laughs> You do doubt it too. You if doubt it's somebody it. where you had to like shape shift a bunch to think, to get them to love you. Like it is such a unhealthy way of trying to feel emotion. Yeah. Trying to feel yeah. your worth. Like once you get it or once you're like, no, I do love you. I'm like, mm, I don't think you do. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> fuck, you're, it's like a no-win situation. Um, <laughs> I was like with, with, certain, like with my partner, you know, and I'm just like, do you though? You know, like we've been together for years, you know, but it's just your mind will fuck with you. You know, you got to like quiet your mind and like um, be aware of those thoughts. And when they come in, you're like, you have to try to see the why you have to like separate yourself and detach yourself from, is this me or is this like my upbringing and the shit that I was taught and conditioned to believe? And I am not those things, you know? And, um, once I started meditating and feeling like this, like aliveness within my chest, I was like, Oh, I think that's where it's at. You know what I mean? Like, within my own being. Um, so how do you go about your healing process and your recovery? What are your things that you do? Well, yeah, I meditate. That is the hardest thing for me to do is meditate is to sit quiet, Mm -hmm. even for five minutes. You know, my sponsor tells me a lot before the pandemic, like sit in your car for a minute, just give yourself a minute before you walk in somewhere. And I was like, okay, I can do a minute, but yeah, it's very meditating every night. I do a gratitude list. There's something in the chemistry when you write down three things you're grateful for at night and I make it different every night. I try to choose something different, like really things you're grateful for. And when you're writing them to actually feel them, not just make it like a task. Um, So I, you know, stretch and try to do exercise because I, as you know, an addict, that I, I build up a lot of energy and pent up energy and anxiety. So I have to try to exercise and stretch every evening. I go to a meeting mm-hmm. a, a day, you know, before the pandemic, I went to five meetings a week, which when I started 11 years ago, I went to like two meetings. So every morning I get on a week, I get on nine meetings a week. I get on every morning. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk about God constantly, which before mm-hmm. the program, I didn't have a God. I didn't have, you know, something bigger than me, a universe, Mm -hmm. somebody taken care of. I thought it was all about me. Like I made things happen. And I realized like, I'm just this teeny little teeny person on the planet, you know, and that there is a bigger universe. So I try to turn everything, you know, stress, fear, worry, doubt, all that stuff. I just literally say out loud, like you take it, God, you take it, God, you take it, God. Mm -hmm. And if before you would have mentioned God to me, I would have laughed at you like, please, Mm -hmm. whatever you in your religious God, because I wasn't I wasn't religious. I wasn't atheist, but I wasn't religious either. Mm-hmm. So I do that a lot. I'm of service a lot. I, you know, with the podcast being of service mm-hmm. to anonymous people call in and, you know, give them the space to heal. I sponsor a ton of women all over the world. I speak, mm-hmm. uh, you know, writing the book was a huge act of service for me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, when I'm having a really rough day, I just, you know, I'm like, I'm going to go take a bath and just like have me time. Cause now I'm a mom, you guys, like I have a three-year-old son. Yeah. Oh my God. And here's the beautiful thing I didn't get to share yet, but I'm with the same man I was 11 years ago. We're married now. I'm, we've been together 16 years. So it's not like I got in this program, got healed or whatever. I don't think you're ever healed, but and find the perfect partner, you know, that doesn't exist, but I'm still with the same man. We got married. We have a child, not like that's the path. Um, but I'm fully committed to another person. He can pick up my phone and there's nothing bad on it. Like I couldn't say Mm -hmm. that 11 years ago. I don't, like you don't have to have that. No, I have nothing to go on anything, Instagram, anything, you know, I don't walk outside. No one flirts with me anymore. It's the best thing in the world. I thought life was so boring. I did though. Cause I was one of those people that I just flirted with a chair, you know, and being an actress, I would be like, yeah, hi, how yeah. are you? Like, just like in my DNA and no one yeah. flirts with me anymore. No one gives me their, en- that energy. And that's such self-care to be able to walk yeah. out into this world and no one's energy impinges on me. It's just yeah, like cool. as a woman is the best feeling in the whole world. And yeah, which is also um, saying of how much what your energy you're putting out yeah. and the vibration that you are you know walking out with like it's totally different. You're not you're not accepting that bad energy or the yeah. low frequencies anymore. You're just like and I'm no, not putting I, on that like needy like needy. Give me attention. Exactly. Give me attention. Mm-hmm. And it's like I thought life would be so boring, and it is so freeing. It is so freeing not to be run by that addictive high need to be loved constantly and attention constantly and drama constantly. There's no drama in my life. Mm. You know, my dad and I had a very emotionally incestuous relationship, no boundaries. And it's like, we have boundaries now. He can't talk to Mm -hmm. me a certain way. We had a year off where I didn't talk to him and we have a better relationship. My mom and I have a better relationship. It's just every area in my life has completely changed because I changed. Yes. I love that. Boundaries are fucking everything. Everything. Boundaries (laughs) are everything. They're everything. And like, that's where your source of power is. And like, once you realize, wait, I can, I can put these boundaries up. Like, this is what I need to do, you know, to protect myself, protect my energy, protect my healing process, everything, you know, and people will, People will stick around, you know, the ones that are the truly right there, um, they'll stick around you, but it's so important once you put yourself first to see how, what kind of life like starts forming around you, you know, it's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, um, talking about your parents actually reminded me of something that we wanted to make sure to ask you about, which is, you know, the first part of the recovery process is like facing yourself, which you've talked about it, you know, that in and of itself is so scary, so hard to do, so powerful. But then there's the part of facing the other people in your life. And I imagine, you know, with sex and love addiction, where like other people were the source and other people were being used like to get the high, the amends, process has to be so intense. And so I was wondering if you can talk a bit about what it was like for you to reach the point in your recovery where you were ready to forgive yourself 
and then make amends with others and seek forgiveness with from others. Well, I have to say, you know, the making amends part for everybody is different. So this was just my experience. Um, a lot of my amends had to be living amends because we mm-hmm. do not reach out and make amends to people if that could injure them or hurt them. And a lot of people I hurt, it wouldn't be inappropriate for me to reach out to them being with my partner, them having their partner marriages. I made one mm-hmm. amends <laughs> And it went great, but then it kind of turned and went bad. (laughs) So my sponsor and I was like, yeah, that didn't go really well. Maybe we shouldn't do that. But what if I did make amends to somebody, it would look like this. It's very simple. It's saying, I know I have hurt hurt you in the past. I promise never to do it again to you or to another living soul. If there's anything that you want to tell me, I am all open. Um, and that's it. I wasn't allowed to, you know, but you did this and this is why I did it like the tit for tat stuff. So my mm-hmm. amends was very couple sentences and take responsibility, but most of them were living amends because when you're addicted to people and reaching back out to them and, you know, a lot of people get in my program, get excited about amends because they want to like reach back out and see, but Mm -hmm. very, very dangerous, very dangerous. But the hardest one was myself. You know, I Mm -hmm. hurt myself more than anybody else. I Mm -hmm. put myself in situations that were very dangerous. I put myself where I didn't know somebody very well. I, you know, got caught a couple of times cheating that could have turned very, very ugly. One of them starts at the beginning of the book. So I definitely made amends to myself and how much I hurt myself and didn't honor my truth and did things I didn't want to do. You know, I think as women, a lot of times we're like, oh, I'll just have sex even though I don't want to really have sex. I did that. And I just didn't trust my own instinct. I didn't trust my own instinct with friends. I didn't honor my own, you know, like you hurt my feelings. Um, Yeah. So that one took a long time. And I also, my amends with God, like, holding a grudge against God took a, took a long time for me to work through. Can you talk a little bit about your connection to higher powers? I think um, one thing that can hold a lot of people back from working a program of recovery is this, is the God piece, the higher power piece. And Um, I'm a therapist in my work with folks that I think maybe would benefit from a 12 step program that that comes up sometimes as a blockage. And I'm kind of like, you just got to be connected to something bigger than yourself. Call it what you want. Um, maybe that's the wrong advice, but I just, I feel like this piece around a higher power can be a block for people when, when it doesn't have to be. And I wonder if you could just talk about that part of being in recovery. Yeah. I mean, like I said, if you mentioned God to me or higher power, I'd be like, eh, like shut up. Like I totally get like, can't trust in a God. How am I supposed to trust in something I can't see or feel or touch? Mm -hmm. Right. So I get it. Like that was a huge deal for me. Step three is the hardest for me. Um, so I, what helped me is making the rooms my God, not a single person, not my sponsor, not, not an actual human because humans are flawed and they're going to let you down no matter what, but it's making the rooms. So I would go into the rooms and hear people talk about God. And in my mind, that room and what people were saying became my God. And I could connect mm, to what okay. they were saying and their experiences and their feeling. There could be a gentleman across from me which I love the mixed meetings because you get to see the humanity of another gender. Um, But he he could be saying something that I needed to hear that I identify with that, especially because I acted like a dude most of the time. So I would just be listening to other people and think God's talking through them. This room is my Mm -hmm. God. And when I would leave that room, then the next room I went into was my God. So it was always just something where it didn't have to be this white, haired white dude, white haired man and white in the, in the, in the hilltop looking down on me telling yeah, telling me if I'm good or bad, but yeah. Yeah. So that to me was the easiest way because when I, other people put it on their sponsors and like your sponsors, a human, they're flawed with our addicts too, you know, Mm -hmm. but honestly the 12 steps is the best thing I ever did for myself. Because my therapist, like she said, she couldn't fix me. She can't give Mm -hmm. me what I get in the rooms. And also Mm -hmm. going to her, the rooms can't give, like the rooms aren't there to work out your past trauma. 
like the rooms are there to give you new tools and to see that you're not Mm -hmm. alone and fellowship and you can turn to and therapies for like looking back at your why and working that shit out, you know? So it's two different things and you kind of need both most of the time. For sure. They go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, And you can't do it all all at once. You know, I think that's why it's so important that it has like the steps, you know, you have something to follow guideline for you and for anybody else who's listening um, with an an addiction. Um, And I love that you, your source of God is energy. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, you know, um, within the rooms, that's what was living in there. And what was coming through was like this source of energy um, and not like a human being. Cause obviously, you know, God is not human, um, oh. <laughs> um, but it is, it is, it is energy and it's all, it's all around us. And it's a source of, um, it's a source, it's a, the divine, it's like whatever you want to call it, you know, but how you worded it of like, you used it as all these people in the room. And that's, that's so, that's amazing. I mean, that's, that's, really that's fascinating because it yeah. is, you're seeing the energy of God through people, you know? Um, So yeah, you picked up on it. I like it. (laughs) Thanks. This took me 11 years and horrible with your all. That's okay. What's time anyway, you know? pain imaginable, but I got there. I'm on the other side. (laughs) Sometimes it has to work that way, you know? Oh yeah. Sometimes I think it has, you have to get so dark that before change occurs. And that's what I think happened, you know, with the society right now, sometimes it has to get so dark for things to actually change. And yeah, the darkest hour before the dawn. So if you're out there struggling, like you just keep walking through that dark because you'll get to the other side. You can't go of under, yeah. under it. You can't go around it. You know, you got to go through it. Definitely. You got to go through it. And honestly, one can exist without the other, True. you know, mm-hmm. can't have light without the dark and vice versa. So however you want to look at that, that perspective, you know, same with love and grief and, you know, you can't have one without the other. And that's just how we have to be. And unfortunately that's kind of the rules of life. It fucking sucks, but you know, that things come in waves and things are temporary and like um, you're in a dark space now, but the light is coming or the light was there before. Otherwise you wouldn't have known darkness, you know? So, you know, that light is still there somewhere, you know? Um, I think there's just a whole thing around like, choosing to suffer wisely like life is suffering and happiness and joy and then suffering again so like can you have a wise mind about how you navigate everything and nothing's forever nothing's forever I think as an addict our mind thinks if it's dark it's you're forever going to be in that dark and I think that's the one thing that helped my therapist told me this beautiful thing that I write about a lot is that she said, you know, with trauma and 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 block blocking out bad stuff in the back, like we block out then the good and that we bury mm-hmm. it inside of our bodies. And so if you can imagine stuffing all that crap and trauma and acting out and everything down and like a trash can, it's sooner or later going to blow up. And she said, what you have to do is you have to dig through your shit to get to your gold. So every time mm-hmm. I was in that darkness, every time I was crying, going through withdrawal, because my, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, we didn't have sex for the first year of my recovery at all. Like I was going to ask, like, what does getting sober actually mean yeah. when the source of addiction is like sex and people? Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of times we use our bodies when we don't want to, we're disconnected from our bodies. So for me, I was disconnected from my sexuality and I didn't have sex for the first year. I couldn't give myself physically because I didn't have myself for so many years. You know, I acted out for, I lost my virginity at 13. I acted out for, you know, 15, 17 years before. So I had a lot of healing to do, but bottom, bottom lines are different for every addict. But anyways, every time I would cry, I would dig through this shit. I would just think to myself, I'm digging through the shit to get to my gold and allowing Mm -hmm. that mama out of my body. So that really helps me heal and allow myself to grieve for myself. Like I was grieving Mm -hmm. for my addict self was dying and this new Mm -hmm. person was emerging, but you know, bottom lines are different for everybody. For me, it was like, do not act outside of my committed relationship. Do not flirt, intrigue, or text any men whatsoever. I got rid of all my male guy friends. It got to the point where I would go to a restaurant and I wouldn't even look a waiter in the eyes because I realized I was giving away my energy 
all the time. Like I did, it couldn't mm-hmm. even help myself. It was so automatic. So if I was ordering mm-hmm. something, I'd be looking down and never look at the waiter, even though I wasn't attracted to the waiter and wanted nothing to do with him. I just did it automatic. So it's like you take away everything you do, every sexual thing, every relationship, and then you bring it back in a healthy way when you understand yourself, understand your character defects, understand the patterns that you're playing out over and over again with different people. And it's so everybody's is different, you know, getting out of bad relationships. And they say if you're in a relationship and you enter in that relationship, if it's not um, abusive, if it's not, you know, bad for your health you stay in it because it's normally not Mm -hmm. about the relationship. And if you're single, you stay single and then you figure out, you know, how to have a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. I love that your partner like was with you throughout this whole process. Yeah. I mean, I got lucky, but here's the thing. We were willing to let go of our relationship. You know, we had a pact. If you have to leave me to get healthy, for you, then that's what has to happen. And I think mm-hmm. us not holding on to each other like this and him right. giving me the space to heal. And we had rules, you know, if I was crying, he can't come in and ask me if I'm okay. You mm-hmm. know, he couldn't come in and fix me. And as a man, that's really hard because they society tells men they have to fix, you know, like right. fix, make better. Like, um, so, you know, we had all these rules and, and it, we grew together, you know, we got lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like me and my partner. Like, I feel like we lived a life side by side. We were not really codependent on one another and we grew both individually before we kind of came together and now we're like growing a relationship together. But, um, like he gave you that, I think, I guess he did, um, that freedom, you know, to like figure this shit out on your own because that's not his job to do, but he was there to help guide you and be your supportive system. But, um, I think that speaks volumes for those types of human beings that can set them themselves aside and, you know, because you needed help, you know? And, yeah. He saw someone he um, loves suffering. And I think I got, yeah. I also, my God, <laughs> use that word lightly, but my God, <laughs> you know, brought me, gave me someone that understand 12 step that was already in 12 step for 20 years that mm-hmm. understood that me being addicted to flirting and entry had nothing to do with him. He could be the most perfect mm-hmm. partner and he was never going to be enough for my God size hole. Like that's mm-hmm. the thing I tell people, if you're with a sex and love mm-hmm. addict, if you're with a sex addict, you could be the most perfect individual, have the perfect body, look the gorgeous. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can never do enough for a sex and love addict. You know, mm-hmm. my girlfriend really struggled. Her boy, her husband's in the program. And, you know, she was like, maybe I should get a boob job. That's who we acts out with. And I'm like, no. <gasps> yeah. No, it's like, it doesn't matter. And then I would say to her, she would say, I said, give, give you the most beautiful individual. Someone is sick of fucking them. It doesn't have anything Mm -hmm. to do with that. Like you can't put that pressure on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this constant, like this feeling like a, like the insatiable feeling, you know, like I'm full, but I still want ice cream. You know what I mean? Like you'll just, you're you're going to do it. And you don't, as an addict, you don't even want to do it most of the time and you just do it anyways. You're like, why am I doing this? I don't even want to be doing this. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, this has been, this has just been incredible. Um, yeah. Is there anything, any advice that you want to share for people who might be listening and, and might be thinking like, Whoa, that kind of sounds like me mm-hmm. or people who are listening and are like, Oh, that kind of sounds like my partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, What advice do you have for people that are trapped in this kind of addiction or adjacent to it? I mean, the first thing I would say is you are not alone. There's millions and millions of us. So I just have to say that because I always felt like I was alone and something was wrong with me. Um, The second Mm -hmm. thing I would say, you know, go online, go to the 40 questions, fill it out like you're the partner. Does that partner do that? You know, fill it out for yourself. That always really helps people. Um, reach out to me. I'll send you in the right direction. There's support groups all over the place that are not 12 step. Uh, the other Mm -hmm. thing, you know, if you're trying to mold yourself into something to make a relationship work, that's usually a sign. Something's not right. If there's a lot of drama in your life and drama in your relationships, that's another sign I always look for. Um, and then the last thing, you know, get my book, 
if you just want a fun read, it's called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. It's the story of a, uh, an actress's first year in sex and love addiction. And it's it's a really fun read, but it takes you through the the secret love, <laughs> the sex and love addiction in a way that is very easy to understand because every book mm-hmm. I got before being sober was so educational, so clinical, so academical, mm-hmm. academic. I was like, ugh. So yeah, I wanted to write something that was really biology. Fun. Yeah, it was like <laughs> Just, I'd read yeah. a page and I'd be like, Ugh, and throw it against the wall. Like, I okay. what part of the brain, the temporal, whatever? Yeah, like, <laughs> this is what's acting out? And I was like, oh, I can't understand. So I wanted to educate in a really fun way. You can also read my article in Huff Post um, that I wrote mm-hmm. and. It helped a lot of people. I I just want to give a voice that you are not alone. Um, you can't make someone love you. You can only love yourself, and it's about loving yourself. We we're born with ourselves, and we die with ourselves. So we might as well love yeah. ourselves the most. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we will link to all of those um, to your book and to the article in the show notes. And I would also say if folks are listening and they want to know more, go listen to episode one oh, yeah. of Brienne's podcast. It's really good. And there's a couple, there's other episodes that go deeper into this. It's a great listen. And I just love that message of you're not alone. And if you actually get connected to yourself, you will never be ever. Alone. You're mm-hmm. never alone. Honestly. Yeah. 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 Yes. Thank you so much for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Um, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot and I've learned that I might have an addiction as well. And I'm not joking about it because I should we print the questionnaire. I mean, I do the questionnaire questionnaire and let me know your number. (laughs) Yes. Because I, a lot of the things that you were saying definitely resonated with me and my upbringing and my behavior and my coping, you know, skills and survival mechanisms, yeah. all that shit was all linked to the, the absence of love. Yeah. Um, and so I think for the longest I'm, you know, and so interesting. And I never really knew what a sex addict, I mean, I had you all, everybody has like this vision, right. Of what sex addiction addiction may be. Um, but I love the way that you explained it. Um, I, I definitely understand it a lot more and how, close it hits to home on so many levels it's not like you know because it is an emotional mm-hmm. uh emotional addiction and it's um, a progressive addiction so yeah. it gets worse and worse over time you know okay. you even yeah. might be in a healthy relationship but you might not know how to sustain that relationship you might not have the tools your parents mm-hmm. or your background didn't teach you to have a tools to have a long-term healthy relationship you know, yeah, so yeah. it's progressive. It gets worse and worse over time, especially when trauma happens. And mm-hmm. as you know, life, there's trauma. People die. It, every day there's trauma. So yeah. there's no shame in saying I'm a sex and love addict. It's such an mm-hmm. amazing life on the other side. So I hope it has helped you. I hope it gives you some relief. I hope I see you in the rooms if you are because, <laughs> because I didn't know how to have a healthy relationship. And and, yeah, it, and it yeah. allowed me to have a health. And I'm not just talking romantic people. I'm talking every relationship Same. in yeah. my life is healthy now. For sure. And the people that yeah. don't show up for me have all faded away. Mm-hmm. And before I would have mm-hmm. like, I say anything I, uh, and I say anything I turn over to God, it has claw marks on. Cause I would be like holding <laughs> on to these people and you know what I mean? So yeah, I, you are yeah. not alone yeah. girl. Like I am right there with oh. you. Yeah. It's so so freeing to, to know because, um, because you don't hear about it often, you don't hear about sex and love addiction as what's going on. Um, you, you think about all your traumas in the past and how your behaviors and how you're acting out, but then you, you don't put that, um, what can we call it? Maybe a label or a name to it. Um, naming what these behaviors are, what this addiction is, you know, you're always finding something to fulfill, yourself. Um, and I've been doing that for fucking a long, long time. Well, I'll send you the 40 questions. I'll send it. I'll send you the link. All right. Thank you so much, Brianne. It's just, you know, I, I think that this episode is going to help a lot of people and you being so generous with your story yourself and your time. It's, it's such a gift. Thank you. So, um, thank you so much. And, um, yeah, we will email you and tell you our numbers. Oh my God, I can't <laughs> wait. Get on the quiz. 
Yeah. I'm definitely I'm recovering codependent. So <laughs> probably I know there's some love addiction in there. Oh my God. I love it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I should probably be in CODA, but that's a whole, that's other. a whole other episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so thank much. You. It was so nice meeting you. you. I'll send All it right. to you guys. I can't wait. <laughs> Bye.